I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to episode 22 of The Hilo, the weekly news and pop culture podcast brought to you by journalist Pandora Sykes and Ollie Alderton and our producer Charlie Jones, whose hair I'm liking at the moment, a bit fluffier. Anyway, what have you been doing this week, Dolly? <laughs> um, I went to Brighton for the first time of my adult life this weekend. Have you been to Brighton? Yeah, loads. I'm surprised you haven't been, though. You are quite Brightonian. That's exactly what Lauren said. She said Cheap it's Cam- cheerful. <laughs> she said it's Camden Market on Sea. <laughs> um, I really loved it. I think it's very beautiful. And it was a gorgeous hot day as well. I was there for my friend um, Emma Jane Unsworth's wedding who's an author and wrote a very brilliant book called Animals. Um, She's a bit of a partier, she's a bit of a Keith Richards of the literary world and um, she was like the complete opposite of what a bridezilla is. She was an example to us all. She was amazing. She was like wearing a really cool strapless white jumpsuit and she wasn't even at the wedding. She wasn't really talking about the wedding at all. And at one point, she kind of took Lauren and I outside and we were having a fag and she was pitching a TV idea. And I was like, I love you so much. <laughs> you are such an exemplary bride. Um, so that was really fun. Um, very nearly took a dip in the water and I was a bit hungover the next day, but decided against it. So lovely weekend in Brighton. I've been listening to The Guilty Feminist, as I do most weeks, and I just wanted to flag up that their episode on male privilege is particularly brilliant and hilarious this week. Last night I watched the BBC Storyville on Silk Road. Do you know about that story? I know all about Silk Road, yeah, but I haven't seen the Storyville episode. It's really good. So it's called Drugs, Death and the Dark Web. And it's all I would say is try and stick out the first 20 minutes because they kind of do some trippy editing to try and kind of make it a little bit arty and it's it's a little bit affected and annoying. But then it becomes more of just a straight documentary and it's told with talking heads from the... FBI agents who uncovered the story and kind of that battle and anyone who doesn't know the story Silk Road was a black market website that was hosted on Tor which is a browser that is kind of leaves no trace of of who's been there and who's searched and who's bought stuff and it started as a kind of vaguely noble attempt by its creator to combat the war on drugs and it was kind of this quite worthy actually weirdly in a way why he began it about kind of giving power to the individual and then it ended up getting so messy and it's such a dark and compelling story I loved watching that and I just think it's prime for a blockbuster Hollywood movie to be made of him I also loved I saw you retweeted it as well Sophie Hayward one of our favourite journalists wrote a piece of The Guardian called How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Listen to My Hormones and it's all about her recent conversion to uh, something called Hormone Horoscope Pro, which is an what app. What is that? It's an app that tracks 
your cycle. And she said that being engaged with her cycle and understanding her cycle has made her realise that at moments where she thought she had kind of unexplained moods or she felt about people a certain way or she did want to do things or she didn't or she could write or she couldn't, she's now realised a lot of it is she's kind of enslaved to these very powerful things that are hormones. And I feel very strongly about that. I'm someone who suffers very badly from PMT. Sophie Wilkinson, our friend, dropped around at my flat yesterday as a surprise and I was on a deadline and I was going through some bad PMT and she sat on my sofa and I just burst into tears she's like are you okay and I was like I saw this play at the Soho Theatre on Monday and it really stuck with me and I was like also I've got PMT (laughs) but you know for years I didn't have the language to understand that that's what it was caused by and I think it's it's really empowering for women to understand that rather than you know, the many, many years we've been told we're hysterical and mad. I think it's good to have, I mean, as someone that's not remotely in touch with their cycle at all, ever, never have been, I think it would be nice to think, God, I'm feeling a bit insane today and this person's really hurting me. And then to go and look at Hormone Horoscope Pro and see, today your fallopian is exploding here, so you may feel particularly blue. And then just to go, okay, before I WhatsApp, a slightly mad message... Yeah. I'm just going to see Take how I moment. feel tomorrow when the fallopians are having a snooze. I yeah. don't know. And she's, is, by something... the way, I know that my reproductive knowledge is <laughs> really bad. Um, she said as well that she realised through tracking this cycle that she's at her most gregarious and she's the best conversationalist and she's like great at a party when she's ovulating. So she makes all her plans around her ovulation. Yeah, exactly. That's a I'm ovulating, fancy dinner? Yeah, and she said now she's writing a book, she's realised that the first half of her month, she's like really engaged and zippy and think has great ideas she's like that's a great time to be like furiously writing and then she now knows in the second half of her cycle she's more contemplative and all I would say to play devil's avocado is that sometimes I think you can be armed with a little bit too much knowledge and that can be a bit paralyzing in itself so say you had some really important meetings in the week that you could see on hormone horoscope pro was going to be your most paranoid and least efficient I can imagine then going into sort of paroxysms of fear Mm. that that was a really bad week for my meetings. I needed to shift everything. And I don't love the idea of looking at my diary, always knowing that that's going to be a really strong time and that everything in there might be shit. Because then it would would maybe cloud how you felt about the meeting. Overarchingly, I think it's a positive thing. But I think there are negatives as well. Yeah, and also like hormones do have a big impact on you. I've actually had a really bad thing happen yesterday. If I told you about Susan Miller, the woman who does horoscopes. No, I, I think horoscopes are crap, so I don't know anything about anyone. She's this American astrologist who's the only horoscopes that I think are really, really accurate. And my horoscope for this month was bizarrely accurate. Like, I sent it to India and she was like, this is bizarre. And one of the things she said is, make sure that nothing goes to the no project goes to the printers before the 5th of September because otherwise it will cause a costly error so now I like obviously can't like email my editor of my book and be like can you not send my book off that's why horoscopes are dangerous also (laughs) no I'm not going to but have you stopped to think that one in 12 people are being told this advice by Susan Miller so what one in 12 people can't print anything before the 5th of September (laughs) nope 
It's fucking ridiculous. Um, so I watched two episodes of My Family, Partition and Me by Anita Rani, which is about the partition in India. And there's been several programmes on partition because it's been 70 years since it happened. It's the 70-year anniversary. And I knew nothing about partition, even though my dad was born in Quetta and raised in Calcutta. Do you know anything about partition? Mm-mm. We've never taught it. Not that that's an excuse. I left school a very long time ago. It was fascinating and absolutely heartbreaking. It was told through the eyes of um, four different people, three of whom had um, fled India with their parents when they were a child. And seeing these like men in their 70s sobbing, some of them went back some of them sent their grandchildren or children to go back and to sort of, you know, go to the villages and report for them. And there's one man, oh my God, there was one man who um, is suffering from cancer and he went back with his grandson to where he grew up. And the house he grew up in is now used for storage. And he's just sobbing, going, this is not my home, this is not my country, I don't belong here. And it's made particularly poignant because this is his last journey. This is his last chance. Anyway, it was in 1947 and basically partition was when the British Army chose to split up India into what is now known as Pakistan and India. And it's really weird because you've got this huge swathe of India in the middle and then you've got West Pakistan and East Pakistan and they're miles from each other but essentially what happened is the Muslims were told to go to Pakistan and the Hindus and Sikhs were told to be within India's new borders so you saw this enormous even though they'd lived peaceably for years you saw this absolutely enormous migration 15 million refugees over a million people died because of partition that that the British government it's absolutely awful obviously there were some online pieces and the comments underneath made me want to gouge my eyes out as there always are um, with stuff like this but anyway it's really really brilliant and you don't have to be into history programs or anything like that it's a really human story and it really remind not reminded me taught me the power of your roots when you are displaced because I don't really think about my roots because I grew up in Britain. I'm British. Um, my parents are British. You know, I've, we've all lived here for millions of years. Like my dad, who lived in India with his family, like I don't have roots all over the globe and fragmented families or anything like that. So I, I haven't really thought about it. You know, I haven't thought about my identity in that way. And it's amazing seeing um, how powerful and distressing displacement is, um, mm. even when you build this amazing new life in another country for yourself. I've read some great things this week. Did you read the Vanessa Feltz interview no, I sent to you? No, I've still got it stored. So it's just one of the best interviews I've read. She was interviewed by Simon Hattonstone in The Guardian, and I've seen a few other publications pick it up. The Week featured it as their interview of the week. And it's just the most brilliant, honest... God, she's such a smart, interesting woman, and also quite nuts. Read it when you have a moment, just if you're on the tube or something. You will absolutely love it. I am really excited for A Cuckoo's Calling, which is the first TV dramatisation of um, the Cormoran Strike novels by J.K. Rowling. Did you ever read those? The ones she wrote under a pseudonym, Robert Galbraith? No. You know, she's written three books about this detective, and she wrote them under Robert Galbraith about three years ago, and then she was un veiled as it being her and they're really great books and it's been made into a TV drama it started on the 27th of August anyone that loves J.K. Rowling is obsessed with her like I am whether that's her Harry Potter books her Cormoran Strike books or just her Twitter which is also magnificent 
or the fact that she routinely drops 100 places on the rich list because she gives so much money to mm. charity. Everything about her I love. Anyway, um, A Cuckoo's Calling is coming on the 27th and it's got Holiday Granger in it, who I just think is a luminous actress. And a new, uh, an actor who I actually can't remember the name of. I didn't recognise him in the role of Cormoran Strike and I'm sure that that will propel him into other roles. And fun fact for you that I literally cannot get over from this week. It's the maddest thing I've read. One in five pets in the UK has its own Instagram account. Oh my god! Would you ever do one for Indy? No, but that's staggeringly high. <laughs> I think your husband would do one for Indy. No, but one in five. Do you know that's twenty percent of animals? Animals. So that could be a goldfish. I mean, to be fair, I suppose I don't think it will be dogs. a goldfish. One in five pets, Dolly. I follow a lot of pets. I follow quite a lot of pets, and I had actually. Do I you mean, follow our fluffy guineas? No. I have to follow them. them. Love them. We both follow Ludwig. We love him. I had naked, qu- get the skinny guinea. I had quite a skinny guinea. I had quite a busy weekend, actually, because um, Ollie and I went to Pets at Home to apply for our VIP card. How do you qualify for that? Um, you don't have to qualify, but the, the, the pet gets a gift on its birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and you get loyalty points, which I'm sure amount to like... So you're dropping your Soho House membership, and instead, Indy is a well, Actually, I've been emailing about that today. I'm slowly extricating <laughs> I might just pause it for a bit but while you put that on pause Indy gets her own members it's club a lot cheaper how much is it to be a VIP it's free hence the fact it's a lot cheaper <laughs> so this evening and for context we record this on Wednesday and you listen to it whenever you goddamn please we are off to do an event at NARS our sponsor in their Covent Garden store. So thank you to everyone who bought tickets and seeing this is going out after the event, hopefully you will have enjoyed meeting us and you you know, won't have been offended by Dolly's hairy legs. <laughs> Are my legs hairy today? I, don't, I can't see them. You're wearing leggings. It's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> they, they might have hated it. They might have ended up throwing tomatoes at us or just Nars makeup products. We don't know. We're talking from that would the, be the most. That would be the most middle class riot ever. Nars makeup products. They just throw <laughs> orgasm blush at us. <laughs> Um, if you did, then shame on you. I also just wanted to say a little word about our Ask the Hilo section at the end. We've had, and as I always say, we love receiving your emails. Um, sometimes we're kind of baffled by them or flabbergasted, riveted, interested, saddened. Every emotion, the full spectrum. Um, we've had one or two recently which are interesting because I don't think I anticipated this so much. Questioning our quote-unquote agony aunt advice and um, one email actually asking if we thought we were worthy of agony aunting making that up someone responded saying well have you got your agony aunt MA where is it Um, oh did you tweet (laughs) I tweeted a very angry tweet about it yeah (laughs) it just made me really want to point out that Dolly and I never appointed ourselves agony aunts and we'd never call ourselves agony aunts mainly because that's just such a weird expression but at its heart all agony aunting is doing is giving advice, something we both do every day, and I'm sure that you do this with all to of your, your friends. friends. Yeah. And we never actually meant this section to emerge. I was never particularly invested in having um, that section, if I'm honest. But with the sheer amount of questions we got, it seemed dismissive not to enter into a albeit brief interaction with our listeners via this section. And Our advice is only ever advice. We're not professionals. We say this every single week. We're not therapists. It's only ever our opinion. It can only ever be our opinion. And we both give quite good advice, so we've been told. But that doesn't mean it's always going to be something you want to hear or what you yourself would say. 
and that's good. We encourage debate. We want to hear other sides of the stories and the dilemmas and the problems. Um, that's just part and parcel of being a woman or a man. Um, and I hope that explains a little bit about why we do ask the high-low. Do remember, we will always, always ask you to seek professional help if there is any kind of risk to your mental health or physical health. Yeah, as Panda said, we are always very honest and open about the fact that this is just us trying to be a friend to our listeners, giving our opinions. We try to be balanced. We try to look at all options. We state very clearly when we think professional help should be sought. And we have done, you know, many times. And we also we ask listeners to write in if they've had similar experiences, then we can connect those people together to start a dialogue. Today's Ask the Hilo section has a question for which I have absolutely no idea. It's, it's a heavy section. I it's have no a, idea what to advise. It's nothing I've ever experienced. But the reason that I think we should talk about it is I'm There'll sure that there, there are people who can get in touch with this woman. And it's really good for us as very privileged, sheltered little women mm-hmm. <laughs> to be engaging with these exactly. kind of women and these kind of stories. And it's not something we take lightly. It's a very sacred and sensitive thing to have people write in and tell you their most troubling dilemmas or their questions or their stories and sometimes we do receive emails that are so serious and are solely asking for specific legal or professional advice and in those instances we refer them on to someone else or an advising body with the correct expertise because we're not pretending we do have that expertise something that I found incredibly irritating that I would like to just talk about very briefly is the one particular email that made us decide to flag this up this week was from a woman who wrote in to say that she was on the fence about whether we were qualified to be agony aunts or not and what do we know about giving out advice Um, and she did this kind of millennial tagline of hey sorry guys just being honest and then in the second paragraph of the email she proceeded to ask a question for that very segment which was a dilemma about her friend and I wanted to bring this up because I think this keys into a wider sort of generational problem we have um, in that we feel like we have to assess and have a negative opinion or analysis on absolutely everything that everyone does and like nearly all creative projects you know this is not exclusive to to doing podcasts but this podcast is a real labor of love it is really hard work it doesn't mean we're therefore not not open to criticism pandora and i've always really welcomed constructive criticism we always take it on board in fact pandora is better at it than i am um (laughs) and we really respect and value our listeners and we want to hear what you think about the show but just generally if you're going to criticize someone's work you know that's going to have a big impact on their day that's going to be tough for them to hear and they are going to take that on board so just really take a moment let's all just take a moment before we give that criticism to question whether you true we truly believe it or not because otherwise it's completely futile and it causes stress and anxiety and you know it's nice to rant it's nice to just like say what you think and go blah 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 over email and just get it out of your system but it's not very respectful and I'm sure that that woman wouldn't have said it in real life so maybe let's just take some time to think about if we are going to criticise whether it's something we genuinely believe in or not end of rant that said we do welcome all genuine feedback so please always drop us a line thehiloshow at gmail.com I think because both of us do jobs where anyone at any time whether it's through our Instagram email comment sections on websites newspapers everyone can tell us at all time what they think of what we're doing what I would say to flip that back is how many people do you have coming up to your desk at your work every day and go I think you could have done better yesterday Mm. I think your knees looked a bit fat 
Or I think your voice sounded stupid. I know that it looks like we're just on this carnival of media where we're paid to sort of take off our knickers and go to Mauritius. I don't know where the fuck that <laughs> anecdote came from. But I it's would, not any, like that. If any editor is listening, I would do that for a small or handsome Take fee. off your knickers or go to the... Uh, oh, no, either. I, I thought you meant simultaneously. I know, they were part of the same story, but I'm, I'm, I'm just wondering if you would take off your knickers for an editor, and I think maybe it depends on the fee. If I was going to Mauritius, if it was a one-way ticket to Mauritius, yes, I would take off all my clothing. We've had, got a bit off piece here. We've had an email from a listener, Ruth, which we just wanted to read out. It's really interesting. And Ruth says, the Scottish government is running a consultation for a bill that would ensure access to free sanitary products in schools, colleges and universities, etc. to end period poverty, something that Dolly and I are super pash about. Sorry for <laughs> saying that. Um, we will tweet the link. Um, it's www.smartsurvey.co.uk forward slash S forward slash ending period poverty forward slash. Um, it doesn't take very long to fill in the survey anyone who lives um, in Scotland who listens to the show she says please do fill it in there's also a consultation document that is linked at the bottom of the first page which has lots of info we will put that in the bio of this episode so whenever you listen to this episode just click down and you will see all the links to all the reading and the surveys and the petitions that we have mentioned today's episode we will also try and remember to put it on the Hilo's Twitter tomorrow that is at the Hilo show cheers Ruth The Hilo is sponsored by Sainsbury's Home. Sainsbury's Home prides itself on delivering great quality design-led products at very nice prices, aka high quality design at high street prices. Sainsbury's Home has a dedicated in-house design team of 14 and 80% of Sainsbury's Home product is designed by the in-house creative team. For autumn, the Sainsbury's Home team have taken inspiration from the great British countryside, from the interiors of inner city boutique hotels and cocktail lounges. Authentic design is at the heart of how the 14 in-house designers create their exclusive prints and palettes, and this season each trend has a signature fragrance blended exclusively for Sainsbury's Home to evoke all the warmth and comfort and spice of winter. So the ranges available this September are Nordic Skies, inspired by the Nordic scenery and and lifestyle, this muted tone theme exudes contemporary style, embossed textures and soft accenting of colours in materials such as wood, mercury, glass and grey faux fur. Renaissance boutique indulge in the glamour and grandeur of the 1920s with stylish home accessories, geometric patterns and opulent skilled craftsmanship. Then you have Woodland Walk, which captures the tones and textures of an autumnal country walk, creating cosy living space with warm aubergine and mulberry colours used across chunky knits and patterned textiles. The Sainsbury's in-house design team have created a unique narrative of a woodland scene with hair figures in rich brass metallic finish and an exclusive fragrance of applewood and clove. Enjoy all of those. There is something for everyone. Thank you very much to Sainsbury's Home. Obviously, thoughts and prayers with anyone that was affected by the terror attack in Barcelona. Um, They seem constant at the moment, and I'm sure that everyone knows someone who had just been there or was about to go there or knew someone that had been lost there. Every single time this happens, you just think of that vast web that links all of us, and you can only hope that... um, people have the support around them to try and get through it and we just have to hope that at some point these attacks won't be so woefully regular as they are right now. 
It's now time for The Top Line, read by Dolly Alderton. Can you hit us with some good music, DJ CJ? Thank you very much. Up, down, high, low, 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 low. Unemployment has fallen to its lowest level since 1975. Whoop. The office for... The Office for National Statistics reported that the unemployment rate was 4.4% in the three months to June, down from 4.6% in the previous quarter. Obama had the most liked tweet in history, with 3 million users endorsing his tweet, where he quoted Nelson Mandela in response to the white supremacist rally in Charlottesville. No one is born hating another person because of the colour of his skin or background or his religion, he wrote. Researchers for Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane have led a study that has found therapy apps such as Headspace can be just as, if not more, effective than traditional in-the-flesh therapist and patient sessions. The researchers looked at 15 trials involving 910 patients where computer or paper-administered therapy were compared to traditional methods. Amber, one half of the winning Love Island champion couple, Amber and Kem, <laughs> am I saying Kem right? That's yes. It, have revealed that she has spent her winnings on a Chanel handbag. Her counterpart, Kem, is rumoured to be the highest earning participant of the show so far, allegedly making a quarter of a million pounds before he even left the villa. Blighting. I know. Chelsea striker and sports lawyer, Eni Aluko, has stated there is racism in women's football as well as men's. She claims her manager, Mark Sampson, has made racist comments to her in the past she described how during the china cup in 2015 we were in the hotel everybody was excited it was a big game on the wall there was a list of the family and friends who were coming to watch us he asked me if i had anyone who would be there and i said i had family coming over from nigeria nigeria he said make sure they don't bring a bowler with them Police have identified a headless female torso washed ashore in Copenhagen as that of Swedish journalist Kim Wall, who they believe was killed by a Danish inventor on board his homemade submarine. She was researching a story on inventor Peter Madsen and went missing after he took her out to sea in his 17-metre submarine. He denies a charge of murdering her. Afua Hirsch, a writer and Sky News broadcaster has called for Nelson's column to be pulled down, claiming that the 18th century naval hero was a white supremacist. In the wake of the Charlottesville rally, she said it was time to look at our own landscape and stated that Lord Nelson defended slavery. And speaking of much-loved London monuments, the bongs of Big Ben have sounded for the final time this week before they are silenced for a four-year period of restoration work on the Elizabeth Tower. The tower is undergoing a £29 million programme of renovation until twenty. I know, until 2021. Theresa May has said it cannot be right for the regular bell chimes to be absent for four years. <laughs> it's good that Theresa May hasn't got other, you know, really important stuff But going also on. it cannot be right. <laughs> what does that mean? A 52-year-old British tourist called Toby Robbins is facing up to three years in jail for picking up some ancient coins from the seabed while snorkelling on his holiday. He was arrested at Mila's Bodrum Airport as he made his way home with his family after being stopped by security staff who stated that the 13 coins in his hand luggage were historical treasures. Shadow Fire and Emergency Services Minister Chris Williamson has said women-only train carriages could combat the rise in sexual offences on public transport and create a safe space. However, Labour colleagues have criticised the move as normalising attacks. MP Jess Phillips tweeted, Absolutely terrible idea. It is essentially giving up on trying to prosecute assaults. If you take your feminist cues from Saudi Arabia, you've gone wrong. And that was the top line.
much I want to talk about from your top line. I love that Amber somehow managed to spend all of her winnings on a Chanel handbag because her winnings were £25,000. I think, I think and it was no, one of some of her winnings. No yeah. Chanel handbag costs that. Um, it's really awful about Kim Wall. She was a really established journalist. She was 30 um, and was way more accomplished than I will ever be. She had written for the New York Times, she'd written for the Guardian, mm, really well known. Mm. Absolutely bizarre story as mm. well about him deliberately sinking his submarine with her in it. That's what that's what's so odd. I really feel for Toby Robbins because we've all picked up a shell. I know. Father of five. He's now just they've all his family have come home and he's just stranded in Turkey. Because apparently he for stealing Turkish artifacts. From the it's, bottom it's really of the sea. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Apparently he just like loves snorkeling his mates. Oh, said. don't. I know it's heartbreaking. But I love that as a quote from a friend. Hi, um, your friend is in he's in real trouble. He might be going to jail for three for three years. Have you got any um anything to say? He just loves snorkeling. But I just find it so sad. Like you can imagine him being like Mr. Hero Dad coming up from the sea, being like, Hey kids. Coin for each of you and yeah, one spare. Exactly. Oh my god. Honestly though, it reminds you before. Flipping careful mm. what you take home with you. Those Elgin marbles, do not try and put them in your hand luggage. What's an Elgin marble? You know, the big Greek. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, your last one, I have to say, I think is absolutely nuts. We're going completely... Made me very angry. We're just going backwards if no. we think. As I, I completely understand what he was trying to do there. He was... He was you know, thinking about violence on women, which is still an absolutely terrible problem in this country. Mm. But I think that's a really interesting um, response from... Um, Queen of the world. From the other MPs saying uh, it's normalising the attacks and just mm. saying we should not be taking cues from Saudi oh, Arabia. T- totally. There was a really interesting Guys We Fucked, actually, that I... Um, Guys We Fucked episode of their podcast, because that sounds quite weird, that I listened to, that one that you said you listened to on pregnancy. Oh, yeah. And... Yeah. Um, talking about maternity leaves around the world because obviously America has an app I mean they've got nothing mm. they're paid the government gives them nothing and they were talking about in Saudi Arabia they get a really good package yeah. and and one of the girls pointed out which was so valid and I just wouldn't have thought of this yes but the government can probably afford to do that because hardly any women are allowed to work yeah yeah exactly so it's, so you cannot look at those no, women's rights and hold in, it up in as, isolation yeah. yeah so I think that's really interesting it also just reminds me a bit of I have a problem with um, St Hilda's in Oxford that women's only college and I have a problem with sororities in America America where you have frat houses and with boys and sorority houses with girls I just none of this is conducive to a world where men and women are seen as equals I just love Jess Phillips so much and when she had something else that she tweeted that she said if you're a man you should be insulted by this because what it is saying is that you're you sexual, can't be trusted around yeah, women exactly let's talk about Zadie Smith So Zadie Smith has imposed a 50-minute beauty limit on her daughter, Kit, who is seven years old. She revealed this at the Edinburgh International Book Festival last week. I explained to Kit in these terms, you are wasting your time. Your brother is not going to waste time doing this. Every day he will put a shirt on, he will be out the door, and he doesn't give a shit if you waste an hour and a half doing your makeup. I saw that she had just started spending a lot of time looking at mirrors, Zadie said. It was infuriating me. I decided to spontaneously decide on a principle that if it takes longer than 15 minutes, don't do it. From what I can understand from this contouring business, it's like an hour and a half that's just too long. It was better than giving her a big lecture on female beauty. She understood it as a practical term and she sees me and how I get dressed and how long it takes. Woe to be the daughter of Zadie Smith and to be a a product junkie. What are your thoughts on this, Dolly? I have to say I really love Zadie Smith saying this. Also, 
definitely read around because I think she's been misquoted, misunderstood a lot from from that one thing. I, th- I think it's been of course. Rehashed. What what's a good op-ed without just reading a quote? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm all for women being allowed to express themselves and play with this their aesthetic however they want and without judgment. Um, you know, I really love makeup I really love fashion but I do think it should be a hobby or a pleasure rather than something we're enslaved to or a very time consuming preoccupation and sitting in front of the mirror for an hour and a half every day be made to feel that all your agency and value lies in your physical appearance that is really dangerous Mm. and no little boy or young man is made to feel that and instilling that as an absolute truth in a little girl's consciousness is really really valuable because we're sent obvious and not so obvious signals from the media and advertising and patriarchal structure that we exist in from so young that our value is just the way that we look I think if we can do some groundwork when kids are young before those signals get to them I think that's really great at first I thought you know give her a break she's seven she's discovering quite literally her own image and her own identity and lots of little girls not all um I know that thankfully we live in a much more gender neutral world but a lot of little girls do want to put on pretty shoes and play with makeup and do stuff like that but then I thought um, of Princess Tiami and all the shit that Katie Price gets for letting her daughter wear makeup and pose provocatively you know when she was eight nine years old and I did think well those habits that you learn in childhood stay with us definitely forever yeah my mum was the most glamorous mum well I thought she was the most glamorous mum when I was a kid growing up she always had a bottle of Chanel number five in her handbag and I was really beguiled by her glamour and her aesthetic when I was little but the thing that she flagged up to me time and time again was that that was all fun but it could go in an instant and what really Mm -hmm. mattered was how you treated other people how you treated yourself how kind you were how you treated animals she's like a bit of a hippie yeah and I think that's what Zadie Smith is trying to get at here that that you know there's this is will be the first and last time I quote Euripides on them (laughs) on the Hilo but there's this great Euripides quote which bizarrely I think really corresponds to how I feel about this which is know first who you are and then adorn yourself accordingly Oh, that's brilliant. Will you embroider it on little pillows? Yeah, I think we should. Um, I also grew up with a mother that placed value on how kind you were to animals. My mum has never worn makeup except, I think when she goes to weddings, she puts on like powder and stuff, but she's never plucked her eyebrows. She's never had a bikini wax. She's never fake tanned. So that was, it was just never, it was never even an option for us to, we, God, we got dressed up. You know, I loved, all I would wear is pink. Um, Such a feminist. And, (laughs) you know, loved putting on beaded necklaces. But that idea, I think we're in a different, we're in a different era now Mm. with beauty and how accessible it is to to young kids. But the internet has used this as carte blanche to assume that Zadie is moralising about makeup. And there's been a lot of, you know, stop shaming women for using makeup and a lot of reminders. Yeah, I don't think that's what she was doing. Yeah, well, there's been a lot of reminders that the beauty industry is, you know, a billion-dollar industry. And Dolly and I have talked before about the dangers of proselytising on beauty, the idea that it is good or bad, whatever your application of makeup, when actually it's inherently nothing at all to do with morality. No. 
but but I don't think Zadie's moralizing. She's literally just she's she's actually talking very practically yes, about yeah. portions of time and the time that could be spent doing other things. And remember, this is a woman of efficiency. She uses applications which block the internet when she writes. Mm. She listens to something called brown noise, which is even mushier than white noise, and literally means she can't focus on anything other than what she's, she's writing. She stopped smoking weed, which she loved because she said it took up too much space. She in uses her brain. a flip phone instead of a smartphone. Yeah. So yeah. she is laser focused. So I'd say that yeah. as a statement, this is fairly on brand. And I think it's important for us to remember that this little girl is seven. Um, her mother can decide to implement whatever guidelines she sees on her daughter. My niece is seven and there's no way in hell her mother or father or any of her very bossy aunts would let her stand in the mirror applying one of her 13, yes, that's how many we counted in her handbag the other day, one of her 13 <laughs> lip balms for more than 15 minutes. 15 minutes is actually a perfectly long enough amount of time for even a grown woman to put on her face, let alone a seven-year-old. According to a 2016 survey, though, and this really surprised me, the average woman spends 38 minutes putting on her makeup every day. I don't think it ever takes me more than 15 minutes to put on deodorant, moisturise, do my makeup. I mean, that's a good portion of time. How long do you spend doing yours? I think I could easily do it in 15 minutes now. I definitely spent much longer when I was younger. Um, but if I was going to a party, I'd probably, if I was going to an event, I'd probably spend about half an hour. But as I said, I really enjoy the whole. I find it quite a creative process and relaxing mm. process getting ready um, but day to day I mean day to day more often than not actually I don't wear makeup well when neither I, of us are wearing any right no, now no when, we, when we're working often we'll meet up and we're not mm. wearing any makeup um, which is a very liberating thing for me because that was not the case when I was younger um, but now as you said a lot of it is just practical it's about time and also it's about perspective and what Zadie Smith is saying is don't be a woman who if you found yourself on like a weekend away and you forgot your makeup bag, you would be distraught. You know, that's the sort of woman who would spend an hour and a half. As in, make it something, a fun accoutrement to womanhood rather than the thing that defines you. And she's right because that is a bit of a nuisance and it is annoying that men don't have to do that. The moment that I, when I felt really annoyed about the whole makeup thing in my life was a couple of years ago when me and my writing partner Lauren had um, made this short film and we were doing a screening of it and the whole day was so stressful because we were like had to hire this mad rat infested venue we had to go and like pick up from a council like a screen we had to set the whole thing up we had to go pick up like a new cut of the DVD it was like a really labour intensive day and then it got people were coming at about half seven and it got to 25 past seven and we were like shit we looked like shit we had no makeup on or anything so we just sat in a corner room next to the room that the screening was happening in quickly doing our makeup and we heard all our friends and family coming in and at that point Lauren looked at me and she was like I hate being a woman why are we in here why are we not in there you know saying hi to everyone and enjoying all this hard work and I do I, I did in that moment feel really enslaved and annoyed by it mm, it's i think it's a really interesting topic um it's something that will you know forever incite people um there's been some as ever very interesting things written about it 
Ellen Scott wrote in the Metro, time spent on beauty is not time wasted. It's not a foolish move, it's a smart one. She compares it to um, basically the sort of gender inequality in the workplace. For now, while we work on changing expectations and breaking down appearance-based pressures for women, if we're trying to get ahead, we have to play into the system a little. That might mean wearing a suit to sneak up the ladder at a workplace with a more conservative dress code or shoving on some eyeliner so you're perceived as having made an effort. That's only a small part of why bash women and children for caring about makeup is out of order the other bigger part is that a lot of us shocker are actually putting on makeup and doing our hair because we want to you can love makeup you can love doing your hair i don't i don't see why that 15 minutes is negating that um and i'm also not sure about shoving on some eyeliner to see that you've made an effort i've never shoved an eyeliner to see i've made an effort anyway moya sana points out in the guardian that the hair and makeup tax as it's been called over the course of the week is less than four and a half hours but in one year that makes nearly 10 days and nights over a makeup wearing lifetime of 75 years that is two years that's extraordinary if you spend the 38 minutes a day in that survey Two years. Comedian Viv Grovskop writing in The Times is my favourite on this. Pile it on, but quickly. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, is I do actually worry about beauty routines in little girls. Um, I do worry that they think it's normal to contour age 14 or 15 when contouring is meant to be for... It, you know it was meant to be an amazing thing you could do when you were sort of 30 or 40 or 50 I think it's worrying that teenagers are now wearing foundation which is all to do about priming pores as you get older and they lose collagen or they get their lips done like Kylie Jenner or they want to get their lips done you know I'm really loath to criticise what other women do to feel good even if those women are very young little women but I do feel upset that teenagers with their perfect unwrinkled skin are looking at how to get flawless coverage rather than piling multicoloured glitter onto their eyes and doing their eyeliner really badly like Dolly inevitably did in the hope that they might <laughs> get a snog do I sound a hundred or do you no I agree, from? I agree with you and I th- I hope that most women who had that preoccupation or have that preoccupation when they're younger grow out of it as I said I did because more things became important and because I became fractionally less self-obsessed and you know like it's it suddenly happens quite quickly. Where you're like, oh, I'm not in, I'm not as enslaved to makeup as I once was. Like when I said to you once about I was dating a man and he stayed over the f- for the first time, and I realised for the first time ever I'd take my makeup off before I went to bed with him the first time. I'd never done that with a man. That's I know. Normally. I can believe that when you told me yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's quite common in women. Normally, like you can tell when I'm falling in love with someone because for the first three months my skin is terrible because I'm sleeping in makeup, and then I do the grand reveal after three months. But I don't. I would never do that now. I think as I've never been a woman that's worn lots of makeup and I don't say that in like a oh I just think that I've got so much natural beauty I want it to shine through I've just never been a woman that's worn lots so I've never had that experience and it's really interesting hearing it but I'm really keen to stress as well that I fully understand how fucking great makeup can make you look like I feel you know when you've got like a lovely eyeshadow on and I've done my mascara and I've got blusher and a concealer on my spots and lovely lipstick on like I, f- I feel great yeah. uh, it, it might not be part of my daily routine but I feel great and if that's something you want to do every day and you want to wear a full face of makeup every day I completely get it I've read some quite shit pieces in the last year of people being like I'm sick of people bashing 
you know, women who wear loads of makeup. Here's why I think it's so important. And that just doesn't ring true. I agree each to their own. But I think instead of arguing that women are better wearing less makeup or more makeup, yeah. it's absolutely an individual thing. But I will forever agree that when, when it comes to time management, and yeah. as someone that's quite passionate about time management, people often say to me, for example, how do you get to read so much? I read because I'm actually really good with my time. I'm obsessed with my time and managing to fit things in. And I don't think that means you can't do stuff and you can't love doing stuff. I just mm. think it's about kind of streamlining it. And as you say, having the agency um, to see beyond. And be confident without it. Or be confident with it, but just pile it on really quickly. <laughs> um, how long do you spend doing your makeup? Uh, could you do it in 15 minutes? We'd love to hear. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The parents of Madeleine McCann are urging supporters to help stop trolls who continue to plague them with vile web abuse, which they say is so awful and upsetting. The police hunt for Kate and Jerry McCann's daughter is set to be shelved next month. Their plea coincides with a governmental crackdown on online abuse. The Crown Prosecution is lobbying for cyberspace hate to be treated with the same severity as face-to-face hate. The McCanns are backing new standards and rules of conduct on the official Find Madeline campaign website, which promotes positive, helpful comments and is now trying to ban trolling. In bold red type on the website, the unnamed web controller warns, please don't post your opinion on leaving children alone. Doing so will result in you being banned. No questions asked. Pandora, what do you make of these new attempts to crack down on trolling? It's not really anything new just to state that trolling has got just completely out of control. I don't think we're getting... If anything, it seems to be getting worse, not better, with the new sanctions that are posed and suggested and talked about it makes me really fucking depressed like comments on the internet in general make me really depressed i can't stop reading below the line as we call it in in journalism where you're reading an article online and then you see the comments beneath the article and they make me i'm sort of addicted to reading them even though i know they're going to make me really sad because they just reveal such a narrow-minded and sour section of society when Malala the you know Nobel Prize winning teenager got into Oxford University the comments on the mail online all said well why is she leaving her country if it's so great and why is she taking this place away from a white British person and then the comments on the Telegraph about partition and those various programmes I spoke about earlier were all, why are we blaming the the British? The Muslim and the Hindus would have killed each other anyway and we built them a railway. So, I mean, why do we live in this fucking heartless, emotionally barren society? Who are these people? Who are these people who think it's okay? Ten years later, which is obviously how long ago Maddie sadly went missing, to go, you deserve to lose your daughter, you left her alone. We get it. They made a mistake that other parents have now learned from and they probably won't make that mistake abroad now. But for fuck's sake, we learn from history. That That's what we do. We learn from these tragic events. Children used to walk to the sweet shop alone 
after Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman, it's unlikely parents will ever let a preteen walk to the shops alone. You know, we learn from history, we learn from events, we have compassion and empathy, or at least I thought that's what we tried to do. And on a more general note, I just don't know when we became so sour and vile and that we thought it was okay to write these things to people we don't know. Olivia from Love Island was on TV a few days ago talking about the death threats that she receives daily. And as she said, it's it's natural not to like someone or not to agree with someone, but messaging them, telling them that you hope that they die or get tortured or, you know, have a terrible life, it's just madness. The, extremity, the language of it is something I would I agree, never... the extremity, the emotional extremity while sitting at a keyboard. It's bizarre and it's it's obviously, it's it's obvious to point out, it's horrifying. And sometimes I do feel like... I'm becoming desensitised to how horrifying it is because I read so much of that language. I've never read language like that before until I read um, these reports on these awful trolls. And I I do think that that kind of bullying and that kind of language has become more normalised for all of us. Mm. And somehow it is just part of the tax you pay for being in the public eye, whether by accident or by, by, like the McCann's, or by choice. And I just never want us to not feel anything but sick and distressed when we do online abuse something that I noticed is that I had to deal with um, an incident of online abuse uh, do you remember a couple of years ago you were horrified about the time obviously it really stuck with you (laughs) so I'm so sorry what was it my memory's so bad Um, it was obviously it was nowhere near as bad as this um but it was the the language was very graphic and i did find it very distressing and when i took measures to report it formally with the police something i was quite amazed by not just the authorities but people around me is there was a little bit of a sense of well you're lucky this hasn't happened to you before we're amazed it's happened now yeah and i was like how has this become a commonplace thing I'm really interested by that phrase you say of the tax of being in the public eye, whether by accident or choice, because moving on from the trolling note, I think we're at a certain juncture with the McCanns, but I don't think it's necessarily valuable for them to be so visible in the public eye. I think they're really vulnerable to criticism and you know, they have so many rules on their site. Alongside that one you read out, it said, do not use like lascivious or lewd language or, you know, they had a whole list of words and there are so many rules of how you can get chucked off a site about their daughter's disappearance from, as you say, this unnamed web controller. It insinuates to me that they aren't reaching as many mm. open ears as mm. they were. What they're, who they're reaching is nasty little keyboard warriors. And maybe the search for Madeleine McCann needs to be a little bit more under the radar now. Um, press doesn't always help, particularly after a decade of it. And I do strongly believe that humans are only so emotionally fragmented and what I mean by that is that the collective cultural empathy for events um, expires essentially new things happen and there's only so many things that you can hold in your head about news and cultural events alongside your own life so for example recent you know atrocities that would be in people's heads would be um, the terror attacks maybe you know the one in Barcelona or what's going on in Syria um, or the Grenfell Tower and many many more and this doesn't mean that what happened 10 years ago doesn't matter it doesn't mean we no longer care my heart breaks for the McCanns and their little girl that they are now very unlikely to find but in news cycle terms they are out of date and they're getting backlash and I just don't think it's fair for them to be so visible in the public sphere right now and I don't say that because I'm bored but being brutally honest I think some people are bored of it I think as I said about the 
collective cultural empathy. We tire of everything, even tragic crimes and accidents. And I am so sorry for that, but I am not surprised when we are faced with daily atrocities going on all over the world. And I think for some people to still be talking about Madeleine McCann 10 years later, for them, has got exasperating and I think what it's resulted in is this really awful situation where on a website about their missing daughter there are masses and masses of warnings and rules and I just think for their own sanity and emotional protection they need to stay take a step back out of the media. I agree in a way because I do but I do think sadly that 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 collective societal sort of sympathy source is a media construct that that gets used up. I think that that whole we allocate only so much empathy and interest in certain tragedies or incidents, I do think that's a construct of, of the media. I don't think that's a human impulse. But I also think of that one bullet point that really stuck in my head, which is on the official Find Madeline website, which is a segment that says, why are we still looking for Maddie? And one of the points is because she is lost and someone has to keep looking for her. And I know that sounds rudimentary, but when I read that, it just it really connected me right back to why the McCanns are still giving these interviews, why they're still um, putting themselves um, in the in the, in the the kind of ruthless gaze of the public eye. I've never had a child. I have no idea what that bond must be like, but I think about the bond I have with my family members and how I would feel if I felt like one of them might be out there waiting for me to find them. And I do understand that your entire life's mission would then become that and that life otherwise would be unlivable. So although I agree with you that perhaps it's now at the point of utmost futility and only causing them greater exposure to abuse and pain by being in the public eye, I understand completely why they continue to campaign and search in such a public way and raise awareness. And I would not judge if they did that until their last breath and understand why they do that. I completely understand why they still want to do that. And I agree, I would never judge that they are doing that. And of course, when you've lost a child, that's all you want. That's all you want to do is try and find them and uh, for the rest of your life. Agreed. But I don't think that they should be getting the media attention that they are anymore because I think it is having an adverse effect on them. I think that they are now spending 50% of their time dealing with abuse from people when actually if the media stopped positioning them in a very vulnerable open Mm. stage, then they wouldn't be receiving that abuse. And I also think that um, I don't agree that the media um, is what makes us get bored of news events. I think humans have a lot going on in their heads, but there's only so many things they can juggle. Um, Frequently you hear people being like, I know that's really awful, but I just can't focus on that right now because I've got this going on. And I think after 10 years of that, with the media constantly pushing them, into a position that I no longer think is valid or valuable for them is what is creating this serious situation of abuse. I mean, another aspect to it, of course, is that £11 million has now been spent on finding Maddie, which is not the kind of money that is ever normally spent on a kidnap case. And on Tuesday, Loose Women opened a debate about whether or not public funding should cease for the McCann search for Maddie. A lot of people were an emphatic yes, and some said no, in line with what you were saying about all the resources should be used to to find the child. But one response really resonated with me, and that was essentially 
as devastating as this is, the NHS is really, really struggling. And that money can help so many people and so many children. And that the money should now, from public funding, be going to them. And not that these are remotely similar cases, but it's exactly how I felt about the Charlie Gard case in terms of funding. Great Ormond Street spent half a million defending themselves from abuse when it was you know, very unlikely that Charlie Gard was ever going to get better. And all I could think was, imagine how many children that could have gone on. Great Ormond Street is a brilliant, globally known children's hospital. And half a million that could have been spent on helping children was spent on, on defending their reputation and their professional opinions. And it's not a numbers game. Obviously, it isn't. But with public funding, I do think there's an element of how many people can this money help? And essentially that net should be cast as wide as possible. And I think if £11 million has been spent of public funding on the Maddie case, then possibly right now is not the time for more to be spent. Support for the Hilo comes from one of our favourite makeup brands, NARS. This week I would like to talk about the NARS first ever foundation stick, which is launched this fall, or autumn as our slimies call it. The stick is available in 20 shades and the formula provides instantly smooth, comfortable, soft matte perfection. Formulated for waterless application, the foundation does not dry, streak or leave a cakey finish. It works for full face use and application or on the go correction. Now I don't actually use foundation and one of the reasons I don't use it is I don't like clanking around a bottle of liquid foundation in my bag because I only really have one handbag and if it went everywhere then I'm screwed. Um, So I like the appeal of this as it's small and it's contained so they're available from September the 1st and they ring in at £30. NARS is offering Hilo listeners two deluxe travel sized freebies when they make a purchase online at narscosmetics.co.uk Simply type in the code HILO H-I-L-O-W at the checkout and you'll receive a mini audacious mascara and a mini velvet matte lip pencil in Dolce Vita which is one of their best selling pinky nude shades. Thank you very much to NARS. Time for Ask the Hilo. We've had many emails as usual. Thank you very much for everyone who's written in. This is the question that we mentioned earlier that Pandora's going to read out. A pretty unusual case, and we have absolutely no knowledge in this area, but one of the reasons we're reading it is we're hoping that we will be able to put the listener in touch with people who've gone through similar things. Hi Dolly, hi Pandora. I'm originally from a town in East Kazakhstan and I've been living in Europe for almost 10 years. I have dear friends and a man who I love dearly and I want to settle here, but I am losing hope. I'm on a working visa and was informed three months ago that my company lost their licence to sponsor it. So to stay in the country, I have to urgently find a new job. I moved out of London down to the coast to my boyfriend's place to save money and focus on the job search. I send out my CV and I fill in various job applications daily. I get responses and interview invites, but the minute potential employers or recruiters hear about my visa situation, they simply disappear. I have a degree from a well-ranked UK university, I speak three languages, but I'm not even getting an opportunity to get my profile reviewed. I know it's the system, I know it has nothing to do with me personally, but every time I get a last-minute interview cancellation, I feel more and more worthless. My boyfriend is supportive, but as I spend so much time by myself, because legally I can't even work part-time, it's very hard to control my anxiety, and it has a negative impact on our relationship. There are companies that provide visa sponsorships. I know people who have got one and I hope to one day get one myself. But as the time passes, I feel more and more stuck. 
I will carry on until they kick me out of the country. I will not give up. But I thought I would ask for a little encouragement from you both. I'm asking for advice on how to stay positive when feeling stuck and unable to make a difference. P.S. If the job situation doesn't work out, be sure that you're going to get one more podcast listener from Kazakhstan. My heart goes out to you. This must be unbelievably stressful and frustrating and feeling like you're kind of in purgatory must be awful. The only thing that I think you can do is I think you have to keep sending those applications out try not to it must be so easy to get disheartened and feel like it's a completely futile exercise but you sound like you're being really productive and proactive so just try and keep doing that keep being honest with your boyfriend I'm sure he understands the frustrations that you feel reach out on the internet and see if there this is when the internet can be so brilliant um, and can you know make you feel so much less alone maybe search for some forums search for some support groups see if there are people who are in similar situations to you who can offer advice or who you, who you can just talk to you because they're they're going through the same thing um, and then the other thing that I thought is that if you're going mad and you're at home and you're bored and you have nothing to do and that's kind of making you lose confidence I was thinking about maybe you could see if there's any charity work in your local area that you can do or any volunteering it will help you have a kind of sense of accomplishment of a day um it will get you out of the house and it will maybe help you kind of find a community of people while everyone else you love is at work every day it's obviously not something that Dolly and I can understand at all because you know we've never been faced with the idea that we would be torn away from the 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 friends and the and the man that we love which is what you say in your letter so you know normal anxiety techniques are so much harder to apply because this isn't worry about your job or worries about a relationship this is this huge looming worry for you where your whole entire life might be uprooted and for that I feel so so sorry I know as you say you're not alone and that there are these charities working tirelessly to help but that not everyone is successful, that not everyone has their their visa prayer answered. I think the only thing you can do, and I know this seems like such futile advice and it sounds like you already know it, but the only thing you can do is to hold on to the hope that someone will come through to help you with your visa or the embassy will decide that you are um, viable to stay and to pursue your life here. And that in the meanwhile, you have to try and seek strength from anywhere you can and rather than sitting at home on your own as Dolly says it's absolutely worth finding out things in your area that you can go and do so that you are interacting and not about this big old problem that you have that Mm. you feel completely stuck about you know you can choose not to tell anyone if you want and you can just go and seek some small accomplishment and companionship from people that you know have no idea what you're going through and people suffering in very different ways um we wanted to read it out because we think it's so important to acknowledge just the spectrum of amazing women that listen to this podcast and the trials and tribulations that they go through, some of which some of us will never know. And um, we're so thrilled to have a listener from Kazakhstan or from Britain, wherever she may be. And we thank you for, you know, even giving us the chance to try and help you in what's a really, really difficult time. If anyone has anything to add at all, please do email us, show at gmail.com. We will, of course, forward your emails on if they're going to be any help at all to her struggle with her visa. Mm-hmm. 
thank you very much for listening to the high low don't forget to rate review and subscribe on itunes you can tweet us at the high low show and email us the high low show at gmail.com thank you very much to acast for letting us use your studio bye-bye bye When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.